Tonight, I'm starting a little early because I have a, a lot to share with you. I actually have a, a video I want to share with you at the end. And um, it's going to take about 15 minutes on that video, so I want to give it time. But what if I told you tonight that God does not need your permission to do as He pleases? Even if it makes no sense to you, even if it were not what you would do in a certain situation. What if God chooses to do as He pleases? It may even um, go outside your theological doctrine. See, in Romans chapter 9, verse 22, it says, What if God... Although choosing to show His wrath and make His power known, bore with great patience the objects of His wrath, prepared for destruction. What if He did this to make the riches of His glory known to the objects of His mercy, whom He prepared in advance for His glory? What if God chose to show His wrath to make His power known so that He could make His riches known to you. See, there's Scriptures that we don't always like. There's Scriptures that don't always make sense to us. Tonight, I'm going to be going there. Would it make sense to you, even if it did not make sense, would you still believe Him? See, that's the question I'm going to ask you tonight. Is even if it doesn't make sense what God does, do you still believe Him? It didn't make sense that God would destroy this earth with a flood, drowning mankind, and see and save eight people and two animals of each type. It doesn't make sense that when Moses was up on the hill... And they began to worship the calf down below. He comes down and he says to the priest, he says, gather up your swords and begin to strike down everyone you see. And 3,000 were slain that day in the house of God. See, these things don't make sense. For them to go into the land of Canaan, And for them to go, and God says, listen, as you go in there, I want you to strike down everything you see in your path. Man, woman, and child. It doesn't make sense. If you began as a potter, if you were a potter, and you took some clay, and you put it on the wheel... And you began to form it into whatever you wanted it to be. Let's say you wanted it to be a a vase or a lamp. And you began to form it into that piece that you wanted to do. And all of a sudden, that clay said, Stop! I don't want to be a pot. I don't want to be a lamp. I want to be a clown. See, that's how we act sometimes with God. God says, listen, I'm doing this to you. I'm putting my hands to you. I'm molding you and shaping you into what I want you to be. And we say, God, no! I want to be a clown!
See, in Romans, right before Romans 9.22, Romans 9.20, it says this, But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common? Let me take it a little further. Job says it like this, because Job was complaining to God. Job wanted to, he wanted to, he wanted to have a courtroom before God and say, God, why is this happening? And, and he says there, where were you? God says this to Job. Where were you when I laid the, the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know, Job. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? And who laid its cornerstone? He says it further. He says in verse 18, Have you... No, back up. Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this, Job. See, Job was the, was the clay. And he was saying, God, why is all this? What is all this about? We will avoid, we will go around topics in the Bible that don't fit our theology. See, pastors don't want to preach things that won't bring tithers in. See, they, we will deliberately go around something. We will deliberately avoid something that, just comp, that doesn't, uh, doesn't fit what we want to say to the people. i got to build them up because if I don't, they're not going to want to come. I told my wife tonight, I said, here it comes again tonight. I don't know why the Holy Spirit has to always do this to me. I said, I'll probably have less people next week than I had this week. I don't bring these things up to you for shock value or to scare you. I bring them up not to... I, I, I I'll be honest with you. I would rather avoid these topics altogether. Or dress it up and make it feel good to you. Put a whole bunch of sugar on it so that you can, it'll be palatable for you to taste it. I'd like to put a dress on it. Make it look lovely. But it's still God's wrath. <laughs> I hear people say to me, I could never love a God who would do that. I would never love a God who would allow bad things to happen. Who would be concerned about His own glory over my feelings. That's what that first scripture says. He's more concerned about His glory than He is about how I feel about it. See, sometimes with God, we're like a teenager who goes to the mall with our parents. See, when we go to the mall with our parents as a young person, you can probably remember some, some of you, it's a long way back there, but think about that. Your parents are there with you. You don't want to be there with them. You're embarrassed because they have, they're embarrassing, okay? They dress different, they're, they're awkward, 
And you are either way in front of them or you're way behind them because as a team, you don't want to be. And sometimes that's how we are with the things of the Lord because the things of God that don't make sense to us, we will go, well, you know what? (laughs) I'm sorry. That's just, that's the way he is. See, Isaiah 55, 8, 9 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. Someone told me this week that they could believe in, in Christianity if, if it, would be, it would be completely backed up with science. And if God could be based upon science, then they would believe Him. See, I, I would think about this. Science is based upon man's hypothesis. Now, I do remember this from science school when I was in high school that a a hypothesis is nothing more than an educated guess so would you rather base your eternity on a man's educated guess or on God's omniscience an all-knowing God who created this world with the spoken word or would you rather trust in the flesh see I don't trust in man's minds. We are fickle. We are emotional. Think about the things that have changed since God's expanded our minds. If you think it's just by coincidence that in the last 200 years, all this man's mind has expanded just by because all of a sudden we got smarter, I'll tell you what, you're fooled. Because if you go back to the time of Adam... The fastest way to travel was 30 miles an hour by horse. You go to Noah's day, the fastest way to travel was 30 miles an hour by horse. You go to Jesus' day, the fastest way to travel was 30 miles by horse. And I'm telling you, this is 6,000 years ago. You go to the Middle Ages, the fastest way to travel was still 30 miles per hour by horse. And you look at in the last 200 years, we've reached the moon. We go faster than the speed of sound. You think that's by accident? see our thinking is far inferior our thinking is not capable our God is not slightly more intelligent than us he is far superior the gap is huge between us and God the enemy would love for us to believe that it's much closer but in the garden he tried to fool them by saying listen didn't God say to you all right like, I got your best at heart God's not got your best at heart I will tell you there is a bigger chasm than we could ever imagine between our minds and God's Don't think that you will ever be able to fully comprehend God. God is hot, incomprehensible. See, in hell, seems like one of those things we just can't figure out. So we have a difficult time with the concept. Would a loving God really send people to hell? I don't want to believe in a God who would send good people to hell. I've heard people say that. Let me ask you this. Could you believe in a God who decides to punish people who don't believe in His provision, Jesus Christ? A God who wants to show His power by punishing those who don't follow after His Son? The difference between wanting to believe something and Could you believe in it is a vast difference. 
See, our wrong thinking about hell started back even with a guy named, a philosopher named Origen. He, he taught about universalism, which he said this, basically, that all of us eventually are going to go to heaven. That all of us will not be able to resist God's power. Eventually, we will all be subjected to Him and we'll all be in heaven one day. But I want to offer you this. It is not the biblical view of Christianity. See, people today even try to... They mix Christianity with some of that universal thought. They say, you know what, okay, as a Christian, you know what, all you have... Listen, I I understand that we don't want to believe that... And in fact, we do this because we want to keep people. We want to keep people coming to our churches. We want to make God more palatable. So we say, okay, you know what... Okay, listen, he's, he's going to do some things, he's going to judge people, but eventually, eventually, we're all going to be in the same place. I tell you, it's a lie from this pit of hell. We are not all going to be in the same place. Many, many are going down the road of destruction. As Pastor Mark said it, that is the default gate. It is going to be all you can do. It is going to be a wrestling match with the enemy to get through the narrow gate. I don't even want to talk about the subject that I'm going to be talking about with you tonight. I'm not here to scare you. But this is something that we can't be wrong about. See, there's too much at stake when it comes to the idea of hell. We have to be right about this subject. There's only one chance we get, and it's here on this earth. And if, if we get it wrong, we spend all eternity in a place that we did not want to go, that was not even created for us. Some Christians today believe that we will all eventually be saved. In fact, we think about, they use this verse, Philippians 2.11, it says, For every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm going to tell you this. If Jesus came in here tonight, all of us would be on the ground. Okay? Whether you wanted to or not. That's probably the reason why He doesn't just show up in bodily form every week because we wouldn't, we wouldn't worship Him out of the goodness of our heart. We would have to. It would be an involuntary. It would be an involuntary reaction to fall on our face before God. The idea is opposed when you look at the rest of Philippians. In Philippians 1.28 it says, Those who oppose the gospel will face destruction. Philippians 3.19 says, The enemies of Christ will end in destruction. Some people think that we'll have a second chance after we die. Some people pray for the dead in hopes that they will be resurrected. I want to offer to you tonight, that is not the biblical view. Lazarus and the rich man, Jesus told the, 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 the parable and he said, he, he said that there was a great chasm between Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man went to hell. And remember, that's the story where he, off, he says, listen, just dip your finger in some water so I can have just a little, little, just a little drip on my tongue just so that I can, I can even function. He didn't get a second chance. His chance... Your chance 
is here and now. 70 years or 70 billion years. You choose where you're going to spend eternity. I can't do it for you. There are those in this room tonight. I will guarantee there are people in this room that are going to go to hell. That breaks my heart. That, that, that just tears me apart. Certain things we just don't want to talk about. See, sex trafficking. Jennifer Leeper is over in Thailand. And that's what she deals with on a, on a daily basis. Injustice, child abuse, sickness. It's much easier for us to just think about the frivolous things in life and feel good about them. Watch a football game. Watch a TV show. Get our minds off of what's going on around us that 150,000 people died and went to hell today. Does, that even, does it even register with us? See, I think we've become so desensitized to us that it doesn't mean anything anymore. Paul was aware of hell. It caused him to preach and suffer for the sake of Christ. He says, he says with unceasing anguish. We've heard ser- sermons that over-gruesomize hell to scare us. Probably some of us back in the 70s can remember those messages. Basic, I remember one message was, you know, talking about how bad it's going to be in hell that you'll bite your tongue off. I mean, those are the kinds of things that they tried to, to do to scare us. My intention tonight is not to scare you, but I want you to realize that hell is a reality. And if you haven't thought about it in even a little while, I want you tonight to reflect on it. That there are people dying and going to hell in and around us, in our city, in our region, in our nation. And what are we doing about it? Jesus spoke of hell 12 times. But He also spoke many more times about darkness, wrath, destruction, many times. Paul didn't use the word hell, but he spoke these words. Perish, destroy, wrath, punishment, judgment, death. When he was describing the fate of those who were lost. He did that over 80 times. See, I think to myself, when was the last time I've even heard a sermon about hell? It was something that Jesus talked about. It was something that Paul talked about. So, well, that's it, Greg. No, guess what? Jude talked about it. James talked about it. Peter talked about it in 2 Peter. And John the Revelator spoke about hell with, with, with graphic detail in the book of Revelation. Describing hell as, as a place where we did not want to be. An eternal punishment. In Acts chapter 17, verse 28, Paul is speaking to the people of Athens. And I want you to think about this just for a minute. It's in Acts 17, 28. In his message to the people of Athens, it's much different than the sermons we hear today, especially on TV. There was no talk of the cross. There was no talk of atonement. There was no talk of forgiveness. There was no talk of all these lovely things about being rich and famous and getting all the wealth that the world wants to give you. His, his preaching was about repentance and the coming wrath of God. Same message that John the Baptist spoke of. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Now, do I believe that that should be our message every week? No. I believe that there is a balance within this pendulum of grace and, I, this, the, and, and the wrath of God. But I believe that it should still be a part of that, just as much as the Holy Spirit, teaching about the Holy Spirit, has got to be something important, because it was important enough for Jesus to talk about it. We live in a culture that does not fear God. As long as you confess God, you can remain in sin and you'll be just fine. After all, no one's perfect. Would God really allow someone to suffer in eternity? See, genuine faith in God will produce obedience and fruit will follow. See, we have been inundated with a grace message that allows us to do anything we want, do anything we want, anytime we want to do it, and says, you know what, don't worry about sin. It's all covered. But I want to offer you to this. Go back to that one one more time. It says this, genuine faith in God will always produce obedience. It, there will be fruit that will follow. And I will offer this to you tonight. If it is not there, if you're not walking obedience, if there is not fruit, then I question where you are with Jesus Christ. In Matthew, this is a very hard portion of Scripture. Matthew chapter 25, it says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now let me just offer to tell you this tonight. The Bible talks about how the wheat and the weeds are growing up together. That's the church today. There's coming a day when God says, listen, I am going to separate the wheat from the chaff. I am going to separate the sheep from the goats. Those who are really know me are going to be separated from those who don't. There are a lot of people right now that confess Jesus Christ, but they, don't have, they have no knowledge of Him. He says this. He says, He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. And then the king will say to those on His right, Come you who are blessed by My Father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. The next one. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. How many of us have done any of those things? See, a lot of times what we think, we go, well, that's... He's talking figuratively. You're always going to have the, the poor with you. That's what he meant. They're going to be there. Just get used to it. Keep going back. Go back one. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did you see when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink when you did see a stranger and invite you in or needed clothing and clothed you? When did you see a sick or in prison and go visit you? Keep going on one. Then the king will reply, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of one of these brothers and the sisters of mine, you did for me. Now I want you to see just for a minute how Jesus treats those who don't do these things. See, when he says brothers and sisters of mine, he's saying those who are in Christ. Those who know me. How did you treat them? 
How did you treat the poor among you? How did you treat those who were less fortunate around you? What did you do with them? Did you, you know, I loved what Francis Chan said. We want to have a Bible study in a, in a, uh, a, a neighborhood where they have lock gates and we all want to get together and we want to worship. We don't want to go to the place in town where nobody wants to visit. See, he says this, when you did this to someone, one of my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. Just think about that. When you do that, you're doing it as unto Christ. But then he says, if you don't do these things, he says, then I will say to those on my left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Man, that's pretty harsh language. See, we don't, we don't even want to read this kind of stuff because no, we don't know what to do with it. It doesn't fit with our theology. It doesn't fit in our, our glamorous churches that we build these days. It doesn't go along with, with, with what we want. We want a message that's going to build us up. Greg, you, you're tearing me down. You're hurting me again. <laughs> See, for when I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and nor did you clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. The next one... They will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison? It did not help you. He says, tell you, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did to do for the one of the least of these, you did for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. See, what, what do you do with this? Do we just overlook it and go, well, it's God's Word. He's saying, listen, you're, where you're going to go is hell if you don't do these things. See, we want this grace message that says, just do whatever you want, live however you want, and it's going to be okay. He says, no, listen, genuine faith is followed up by obedience. If we're not walking in obedience, our faith means nothing. Francis Chan in his book called Erasing Hell, he says, who are the ones sent to eternal punishment? Those who didn't take care of their brothers and sisters. He says, this is, this is difficult for me. See, I thought we were saved by grace. The outer working of a true conversion is change. The outer working of a true conversion to Christ is change. Fruits are produced by obedience. See, we have a false sense of security in America. We trust, we have to trust in what he did by faith, but the action of obedience is the proof of that faith. Did you hear me, guys? See, it's, it, we think we can just confess Jesus and it's all done and we're done. No, no. He says, listen, for that faith to be alive, for that faith to really be working in you, that grace to be active in you, you have to follow it up with doing something by acting in a certain way. Your obedience is that measure. Again, people ask, how would a loving God punish people for eternity? I say this back, how would a just and fair God not punish sin? Especially after He sacrificed His Son. We choose our destiny. We fall in love with Jesus or we fall in love with ourselves. See, a look at hell 
should produce the following three things in our lives. Hell makes us see how terrible our sin really is. See, we really understand when we see hell, we understand how much God really has saved us from. Number two, we fear the Lord. Psalms 89.7 says, God is to be greatly feared. That word feared there means to tremble, to shudder. Number three, it's a passion to witness. Only 2% of Christians witness. That's a command of, of, of Christ. 2%. Obedience is the mark of our true faith. 2 Thessalonians 1.5 says, All this is evident that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who... who, who those who trouble you and give you relief to those who are troubled and, and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with His powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of God and from the glory of His might. See, I'm... I'm not trying to scare you guys tonight. I mean, that's my heart tonight is not to go, okay, I want you to shudder and I want you to come to the altar and have a great altar call. What I want is for us to realize that hell is a reality and that it should shake us. It should make us shudder. See, the Bible says that the demons believe and they shudder. See, sometimes we say, well, I believe. Good. You're on the same level as a demon. Obedience, lordship, surrender, coming under His leadership is what God is calling us to. Anybody out there that tells you different, I tell you right now, is giving you a foolish line. This is the Word of God. In Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to close with this. It says in verse uh, 21 and 23, and right before I get there, I want to read these. He's in this same portion of Scripture. He talks about entering through the narrow gate, and that wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And right after that, in verse 19, he says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into fire. Guys, this isn't me. This isn't, this isn't my words. This is Christ's words Himself. If you have a Bible, it's the red part. It's the red letter part. That's where Jesus is speaking. He ends it with this. He says in verse 21, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but only the one who does the will of My Father who is in heaven. Many will say to Me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name and in Your name drive out demons and in Your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew You. Away from Me, You evildoers. See, many of us think, well, that's, that's somebody else. See, what scares me about that is that that could be any of us. Look at that next one. See, I want, you to, I want you just to put this, I want you to think about this and put you, you and what you've done in these red places. But Lord, I have done this. I have done this. And I didn't see you when I did this. He says this, depart from me, I never knew you. What are those things that you've done that you hold on to and you say to yourself, this is, 
I go to church. I read my Bible. I tithe. But Jesus puts us over in this other place and He says, but what have you done for those who are needy around you? What are you doing to the least of those among you? See, it's much easier to go to a nice, middle class, white church, be comfortable there, be comfortable, and go to hell. See, that's the part that just rips me inside out. I'm like, God, this is what's happening in our country. You know, you say, well, no, Greg, you're, I think you're exaggerating it. Okay, look at the book of Revelation. When he talks to the churches, he talks to seven churches. Five of them have difficulty. Only two of them were ready for Christ. That's 28%. So, think about that in the realm that we live in. 28% of the churches. And I will tell you this. I don't think that's... I think that's a high mark for the American church. Because the most of the world looks at us as fools. See, most of the world looks at us and says, that's what the church looks like? As they're dying, losing their heads, and, and, and being persecuted, running to the mountains to hide a fl flee from those who would try to kill them. I'm going to finish with a video here in just a second. And I'm going to just say a couple of words about it. This, I did some research on this man. I'm, I am not one of these guys that likes to listen to people who say they've been to heaven or they've been to hell or all these other places. But I checked this guy out and he's the real deal. And this is his testimony about a vision God gave him. Go ahead. I mean, I got up at 3 o'clock in the morning and suddenly I was pulled out of my body and I found myself falling through the air and I landed in a prison cell in hell. I had no explanation of how I got there, why I was there. I was fully awake and cognizant. Just like I'm standing here now, it was that just as real. And this prison cell was filthy, stinking, dirty, smoke-filled, rough-hewn stone walls and bars. Isaiah 24:22 says, And they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit and shall be shut up in the prison. Proverbs 7.27 mentions going down to hell to the chambers of death. The word chambers means inner rooms. Job 17.16 says they shall go down to the bars of the pit. And Jonah 2.6 says the earth with her bars was about me forever. And it's talking about literal gates and bars. According to Tyndale, the New International Commentary, and many other respected commentaries, it's actually talking about bars and gates. So that's where I found myself in this stinking prison cell. And the first thing I noticed was a tremendous heat. I wondered, how can I be alive? I should be incinerated already. It was so unbearably hot, but yet here I was, alive. I was lying face down on this stone floor. And I noticed I couldn't hardly move. I tried to move and it took so much effort to even move. I thought, what's wrong with my body? Why can't I move? But see, Isaiah 14, 9 and 10 says, Hell from beneath is moved to meet thee at thy coming. They will say, Art thou become weak as we? And the word weak there is the word ill or faint. The same word used in Judges 16, 7, where Samson became weak when they cut off his hair. 
Psalms 88 4 says, I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that has no strength. So one of the things you have to endure for all eternity is you are completely void of any kind of strength. Now that might not sound like a big deal, but really, if you ever thought about, remember a time when you had the flu and you just felt weak from the flu? Well, it's a thousand times worse than that. Any movement takes so much effort. But see, Acts 17, 28 says, In Him we live and move and have our being. Even movement comes from God. It's not automatic. I looked up and I saw these two enormous beasts in the cell. I didn't realize what they were yet. They were demons. But they were uh, reptilish in appearance. Bumps and scales all over the one's body. Huge jaws, sunken in eyes. Uh, claws about a foot long. And these particular two were about 12 or 13 feet tall. And that sounds like an exaggeration, but I could give you scripture for that too, but I have to keep moving. And these two were pacing in the cell like a caged animal. The most ferocious, vicious demeanor of anything you've ever seen. And they were blaspheming and cursing God. They had an extreme hatred for God. And we know hatred comes from the demonic realm. Revelation 13.6, James 2.7. And uh, as they were cursing and blaspheming God, the one picked me up and threw me into the wall like I weighed the weight of a water glass. Tremendous strength. I hit the wall. Bones broke. I collapsed on the floor. I felt pain. But I understood that I only felt a small amount of the pain. The Lord explained on the way back that He blocked almost all the pain, but He did allow me to feel some of it so that I could relate to people. It's not metaphorical or allegorical pain. It's real literal pain you're going to feel in hell. And the amount I felt was enough. And the other one picked me up and dug its claws into my chest and just tore the flesh open. It hung like ribbons. I couldn't believe, how could I be alive? I should be dead from these wounds. But yet here I was, alive. You have a body. Matthew 10, 28 says, Fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Remember Luke 16, the rich man. He had a tongue, he had eyes. He thirsted. But I noticed there was no blood or water coming from the wounds. And just something I happened to notice. But we know Leviticus 17, 11 says, The life of the flesh is in the blood. Well, there's no life in hell, so there's no blood. And Zechariah 9.11 says, Thy prisoners out of the pit where there is no water. There's not one drop of water in hell. They had absolutely no mercy. None. They had this extreme hatred. And we know Psalms 103.17 says, The mercy of the Lord is upon those that fear Him. Well, they don't fear Him in hell, so you don't derive that benefit of mercy. Two more walked in, and uh, one of them crushed my head like flat and I couldn't believe how could I be alive through this but you can't die and I didn't see the two as they walked in because right about that moment it went dark now I believed it resumed its normal state but it was God's presence was there in the form of light for me to see to describe to you what it looked like but then it resumed its normal state of absolute pitch black darkness I mean it was so dark Lamentations 3.6 says, He has set me in dark places as they that be dead of old. And Jude 13 talks about blackness of darkness forever. But it's not just dark, like here, in the dark. You can feel the darkness. And that's not an exaggeration. Exodus 10.21 talks about a darkness that may be felt. It would just penetrate right through every cell in your body. Because it's such evil in this place. Total evil, no love of any kind. And... All four of them then grabbed an arm and a leg and were going to pull my arms and legs off. And I thought, I can't, I can't endure this. And something right at that moment grabbed me and pulled me out of the cell. Now it was God, but I didn't realize that then. And placed me over next to this pit of fire. 
this raging pit of fire that was about a mile across. Enormous pit with flames raging high up into this open cavern. And it was brimstone falling and uh, like lava falling from, from above. And this is where I could first see people. I, could, I was listening to the screams all this time. It is so loud and deafening in hell. I mean, the screams. You ever, ever heard someone scream, an agonizing scream? Well, it's terrible to hear that. Well, there's millions of people screaming. And it just penetrates you again. Isaiah 57, 21 says, There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. You have no peace of mind whatsoever. And I looked through the flames, and this is where I could first see people. There were people literally inside this pit, in the flames, burning. And it was not metaphorical or allegorical fire. It was real, literal fire. Psalms 11.6 says, Upon the wicked he will rain snares, fire, and brimstone, and a horrible tempest. Psalms 140.10 says, Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits. Matthew 13.49 says, The angels shall sever the wicked from the just and cast the wicked into a furnace of fire. John 15.6, many other scriptures I could give you, but it's real literal fire. And just to give you one verse to prove to you it's fire, in Revelation 9.2, during the tribulation time on the earth here, when the bottomless pit is opened, it says there arose a smoke, and our air and sky were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. Well, it could have been a metaphor or metaphorical fire to produce real smoke. It takes a real fire to produce real smoke to darken our sky. You see, and in Luke 16, he wanted a drop of water to cool his tongue. So if it, if it was just flames of mental anguish, why would water suffice? If you remember the Twin Towers, when people jumped, you remember how awful that would have been to jump out of those towers. And they said that the temperature of the burning fuel was 2,000 degrees, which is, I think, uh, about 1,100 degrees uh, Celsius. And that they would be incinerated in 15 seconds facing that heat. So those people chose to jump rather than face 15 seconds of fire. And scientists say that the center of the earth is 12,000 degrees. And that's why Jesus warned. You know, there's 46 verses in the Bible where Jesus talked about hell. And 18 of those verses are about the fire of hell. You see, so that's why He warned us. This place is real. It's severe. And... Uh, I, I, I knew, I understood that I was down deep in the earth. I just understood that. But there's 49 verses that talk about where hell is currently located. I'll just give you two. Ezekiel 26, 20, number 16, 32, and 33. But there's 49 verses. And I just understood that I was down deep in the earth. Now, after Judgment Day, death and hell are delivered up and cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 20, 13. And into outer darkness. Matthew 25, 30. But down deep in the earth... I understood that there were different levels of torment. I don't know what level I was in, but I understood there were different degrees of punishment and levels of torment. Now you remember Jesus said, you shall receive the greater damnation, Matthew 23, 14, inferring there's a lesser. Or he said, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in a day of judgment than for that city, inferring there's a less tolerable. Or Hebrews 10, 28 says, of how much worse of a punishment supposed to be for you, you who have trodden underfoot the Son of God. Luke 12, 47 talks about beaten with many stripes or beaten with you. Anyway, the point is, there is no comfortable, nice level in hell. They're all horrendous beyond anything you can ever imagine. I was so thirsty. Just a drop of water would have been so precious like the rich man. I felt like if you were to imagine running through the Sahara Desert for a month with cotton in your mouth, I desperately wanted a drop of water. But you never get that drop. 
I, um, the smells in hell are so foul and putrid and disgusting, worse than anything you can ever imagine. Like uh, the worst open sewer, bad eggs, rotten milk, everything, again, times a thousand. But also add to it sulfur, and sulfur is actually toxic to breathe. If you go to Hawaii, to the volcano, they have signs posted where you can't go past a certain point because the toxicity coming up from the volcano, the sulfur will kill you. Well, that's what you're breathing in hell. And you know, uh, I learned this from John Bevere, but he said that um, man can adjust to any kind of odor, any kind of foul odor man can adjust to, but he cannot adjust to sulfur. You cannot adjust to that smell. It is so foul and pungent, pungent, um, putrid and disgusting, and this is what you're breathing in hell. Remember, Jesus rebuked the foul spirits, Mark 9, 25. Uh, it is so foul and putrid. But it's, it's worse than that because you don't really want to breathe the air anyway. I mean, it's so foul, but you can't because there's not enough oxygen to breathe. Like here, if you take a nice deep breath, well, you, you don't have enough air to breathe in hell. You have to fight and gasp for even the tiniest bit of air. And maybe only an asthma patient can relate to this, but I'll demonstrate to you, this is how you breathe in hell. It was like... That's as much air as you could get. So any moment you felt like, I'm going to die, I don't have enough oxygen. But you keep going. But see, Isaiah 42.5 says, The Lord gives breath to the people upon the earth. You're not upon the earth, you're down beneath the earth. God's real specific with His Word. So you don't derive that benefit again. You need to sleep in hell. Like here we need sleep, right? Well, you know, I was only there 23 minutes, but I felt like I was there 23 weeks. And I understood that you need to go to sleep. I wanted to go to sleep. I was so exhausted. But you can't ever go to sleep again. Can you imagine staying up? You've been up one or two nights and you know how you feel. But for all eternity, you never get to go to sleep. Revelation 14, 11 says, And the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night. Now that primarily means no rest from the torments, but no rest of any kind. Because Isaiah 57, 20 said, The wicked are like the troubled sea that cannot rest. But see, again, that's a blessing and benefit from God because Psalms 127.2 says, The Lord gives His beloved sleep. You're not His beloved there. You're hungry. You never get to eat. You never get to drink. You're in total darkness. The fear level. Everything you have to experience in hell is so far beyond anything you can imagine. I was standing by this big pit of fire and I was observing all these people burning and, you know, you feel so helpless. You can't help yourself. You have, it's a useless wasting away. You have no purpose, no destiny. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, There is no work, no device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in Sheol. It's just a complete useless wasting away. And it doesn't matter who you are. If you're somebody famous here, no one would know who you are there. You're completely lost and alone. Ecclesiastes 6.4 says, Your name is covered in darkness. So no one would know who you are. And you're forgotten in hell. Psalms 88.12, Isaiah 26.14, no one would remember you in hell. And it's confusion and turmoil in hell. It's just everything is confusion. You know we like things in order here and neat in order. Well, hell's the opposite. Jeremiah 20.11 and Isaiah 45.16 talk about everlasting confusion. And Job 10.22 talks about a land without any order. These are all the things that, that hell's like. And as I was looking at this pit, there were individual pits of fire all around this big pit with people inside their individual pits. Some were in the big pit, some were in individual pits. I can't explain that. Psalms 94.13 talks about pits. 
and uh, flames would come up and just burn the flesh off and there were just skeleton forms of people with flesh just hanging off. Psalms 49.14 explains that also. But uh, as I was looking at these people and all around me was this tunnel. I was standing beneath this tunnel and there were demonic creatures of all sizes and shapes in this tunnel. Uh, some were two and three feet tall. Uh, some looked like spiders and they were three and four feet across. I mean, I don't like spiders, but three and four feet across. And there were snakes of all sizes and shapes. Some of the demons were 12 and 13 feet tall. Uh, there were maggots everywhere. Millions of maggots crawling. I could only see a little bit from the light from the flames, but it illuminated enough for me to see the ground that was covered solid with maggots. And you know, I learned this from John MacArthur's teaching on hell. But, um, you know, first of all, Isaiah 14.11 says, where the maggot will be spread under thee and will cover thee. He uses the word maggot in the original. And John MacArthur said that, you know, if an animal, a dead animal, I know this is disgusting, but just bear with me, if a dead animal is being eaten by maggots, well, when the flesh is consumed, the maggots will die. And I never knew that, but when the flesh is fully consumed, the maggots will die. Well, that's why Jesus said, where their worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. It's also the word maggot. You see, so, in other words, the flesh is never fully consumed, so the maggot feeds sweetly on thee, as it says in Job 24.20. I mean, is that disgusting enough? The fear level that you have to experience in hell is so far beyond anything you can imagine. You know, and I'll relate to an experience that I had. I used to surf when I was 16, uh, a lot, and I was surfing off the coast of Cocoa Beach, Florida. A bunch of guys were out, and a shark came by and grabbed the guy next to me and ripped his leg off. And the shark came back. There was about 30 sharks, probably, and 100 guys out. We were scrambling, trying to get to the beach. And the shark passed by me, and I got up on my knees, and I was on a nine-foot board. And the shark was longer than my board. And the paper said they were tiger sharks. You know anything about sharks? They're really vicious. And the shark passed by, turned his head, and I saw his teeth were about this long, and his mouth was about that wide. And he passed by, and he came back, and he bit my board in half. Now I was in the water, and I was with a friend of mine, Renee, and Renee was also in the water, and, you know, Renee just said to me, I guess we're dead. That's a bad confession, for sure, but, but I mean, that's how you felt. Anyway, the shark came back and grabbed my leg and pulled me down under the water. Now you can imagine the fear that I felt, right? Well, that fear paled in comparison to what you feel in hell. That wouldn't even register. You know, Psalm 73, 18 and 19 says, You cast them down into destruction, where they are utterly consumed with terrors. Anyway, the shark let me go. Praise God. That's a miracle of God. Right? Let me go. I mean, open its mouth and I didn't even have a mark in my leg. Can you imagine? That's a miracle of God. Not one mark, and that's impossible with any shark, but especially a tiger shark. God was watching over me. You know, and I was not even a Christian then. But I got saved immediately after that. So, that's God. That's God. Thank you, Lord. You would too, right? I didn't... Um... I didn't show you that, I, all of it, even because I didn't, I, the intent tonight is not to, 
to bring fear or make you scared or make you want to run to the altar because you're afraid of going to hell. However, I do want us to understand the reality of, of hell. And as a Christian, it should be something that, that's, that's on our mind. I was reading Francis Chan's book called Erasing Hell, and he says, as he was writing the book, he said, I was going through all these scriptures, and a lot of the scriptures I gave you tonight are from him. And he goes through and he says he's in a coffee shop and people are kind of coming in and going out and laughing and there's all kinds of stuff going on and, and he's reading these scriptures about hell and he's he just thinks to himself Lord how many of these people that are coming and going are on the road to hell and don't even know it see I want it to awaken us if you're a sold-out, radical Christian, then you know what? The, tonight, this should do is just say, you know what? I don't want to be this, the, the, the other half of the 98% that aren't witnessing. See, 2% of Christians are witnessing. That's pathetic. God's calling us to be disciples of Him. You know, tonight, I am going to open the altar, but what I'm going to say to you tonight is this. I'm not going to say, you know, I don't want you just to come down here because you're scared or you, you just this brought fear to your heart. I want you to, tonight to say, you know what, I want to be a disciple of Christ. See, that's what He's really calling us to. He's not calling us to the sinner's prayer and we say that and then we just go on and we go out the door and we keep doing what we, get, we were doing before. The, sinning, the sinner's prayer is meaningless unless we follow up and we walk in obedience. But there'll be those tonight, I believe, that the Holy Spirit is convicting you and say, you know what? God, I'm not, I'm not walking where I need to walk with you. You know what? I haven't witnessed. I haven't, I'm, not, I'm not walking in that place. If that's the case, you know what? I'm going to open this altar and say, you know what? Come. Come. But the other part is this. You know what? Some of us, God's just saying, listen, you've been in church all your life. Maybe you're a great tither. Maybe you know the Word. You were, you're relying on the intellectual knowledge that you have of the Word. But remember what, what I said early on. That chasm between God, His incomprehensibleness, and us is, is huge. It's not even close. Even those of us who are the smartest, even those of us who, 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 who just eat the Word up, it's still... It's still, a, there's a, God's knowledge is so beyond us. Tonight, as we close with this song, this, this, this song just calls us into that place. God, I want to fall afresh on me. Don't come out of, uh, 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 don't come tonight. I'm, I'm telling you tonight, I don't want you to come out of fear. I don't want you to come because you go, okay, well, you know what? He scared me. No. I want you to come tonight because you know what you say? I love Christ. He is. The, I want Him to be the most important thing. I want to love Him more than I love me.
Father, tonight, I ask you, God, to forgive me. Lord, for sometimes I think we forget. But we forget that around us this world is going to hell. 
Lord, I pray tonight that the reality that people are dying and being lost every day, God, I pray tonight that we would, that reality would become real to us. God, awaken us to the Spirit of God. Awaken me. Lord, let me not go a day and forget. Lord, Paul, as he walked this earth, he was in anguish over those who were lost. He counted himself, Lord, as, as rubbish for the, the, the cause of Christ. He said, you know what? It doesn't matter what they do to my body. It doesn't matter what they do to me. God, let us get to the place. Lord, we also recognize what you've saved us from. God, you saved us from. God, you've rescued us from hell by your son's death on the cross. Tonight, Lord, let that reality, God, let it shake us. God, let it sift us. God, let it make us more like you. God, your glory is shining down on us. And God, we are just a reflection. We're a mirror. God, let it not be smudged. God, let the reflection of Jesus Christ be bright and clear to the world around us. God, let us look more like you. God, let us act more like you. God, let us feed the sick. Clothe the homeless. God, let us reach out to those who are in need. God, let us reach out to our brothers and sisters. God, let us do as your word says, God. Let us not forsake those. God, let us not forget those. You said that as we do that to the least among us, we're doing it unto you. God, let us not forget that tonight. God, make that reality so real in our lives. Make it real in my life. God, let me feel the pain of the lost. God, let me pray in anguish over those who are lost in Springville. God, those who are dying today and lost in Springville. God, let me be in anguish over those, God. I thank you, Jesus. God, tonight this was not intended to scare us. But Lord, let it be reality in us. Lord, let us know. Let us not forget. There is a heaven, but there's also a hell. And Lord, that we have a choice of eternal punishment or eternal glory. We thank you, Lord. song to the Lord right now. Tell Him how much He means to you. Just tell Him right now. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We magnify you.
magnify you, God. Lord, let it not be lip service tonight, but Lord, let it be consummated in our heart. God, let us truly give ourselves, God, fully to your Lordship. God, that you reign over this area. God, we, we, develop, we devote ourselves fully and completely to you tonight.
We love you, Lord. We love the Lamb of God. We magnify. We lift your holy name. We bless you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. here tonight. God, I pray that you would seal this in our hearts tonight. God, that we would go from here, not Lord, that we would, we would not walk out the door and forget. Lord, your word talks about that, that we look in the mirror and then we walk away and we forget what we look like tonight. God, I pray that, that tonight this would be embedded in us. God, make it so real to us, Lord, that we walk in it every single day. And Lord, I'm reminded of Paul's words. He says, like I said last week, two weeks ago, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. In the midst of our rejoicing, Lord, we can also be in anguish over the lost. Lord, help us to find that balance in our lives. Lord, help us to find the balance in all of that we do, I pray in your name. Amen.